Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we bring in some of the best reporters in Chicago to break down the biggest local and state stories of the week. Legislators have been crazy busy down in Springfield this week, passing bills that will affect both the city and the state. Stories like these. It's a late night in Springfield, only three hours left in session, and high-stakes negotiations continue. The Illinois Senate has passed a bill that replaces Chicago's appointed school board with a fully elected board starting in 2027. Lawmakers also passed a bill that limits the use of seclusion and restraints on students. Lawmakers in Illinois have passed a new state budget with no new taxes or cuts to state services. It's the Democrats that are getting the state's fiscal house in order. Yep, that's a lot. So let's dive right in with Dan Petrella, state government reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and Dave McKinney, state politics reporter here at WBEZ. Welcome to you both. Hey, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Illinois lawmakers went into overtime this week, wrapping up a spring session that had a logjam of legislation due to the pandemic. So, Dave, I want to start off with the main item on the agenda, and that was the state budget. Governor Pritzker says the $42 billion budget that passed this week showed fiscal discipline. And you got to interview the governor yesterday. So tell us, did he seem happy with how the budget turned out? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, for anybody who's watched budget making in Springfield over the years, it's always kind of this same story about there never being enough money, you know, cuts, fee increases, tax increases. And this budget had none of that. I mean, this was basically built on the uh, on the strength of a flood of pandemic money coming from the federal government. There was a, a real strong uptick, unexpectedly so, in income and sales tax revenues for the state. And so really, Illinois was put in this position of having pretty much enough money to meet its needs for this year, which the governor was thrilled about because it basically allows him to run the agencies the way he wants to run them. So, I mean, this is, this is a pretty remarkable year financially for Illinois. And I, I don't think that you know, anybody thinks this is going to last, but for right now, it's a good thing. Now, Dan, some important uh, legislation passed having to do with schools as well. Currently, Chicago public schools are the only district in the state with a school board appointed by the mayor, but that could soon be changing. So, Dan, can you first explain to us what decisions the Chicago Board of Education is in charge of and then give us the details on what actually passed in the Senate? Sure. The Chicago Board of Education, um, similar to Boards of Education across the state oversees the day-to-day operations of uh, Chicago Public Schools, which is, I believe, the second largest school district in the country. Uh, It's very large budget. Um, And currently, all of its members and its president are appointed by the mayor. Mayor Lori Lightfoot campaigned in support of an elected school board and then has since shifted her stance on that. There was a lot of back and forth throughout the spring about a potential partially appointed, partially elected board, whether the majority should be appointed members or elected members. And the bill that ended up passing out of the Senate would create a board with 10 appointed members and 10 elected members and an appointed president, uh, giving the mayor control of the board for a two-year period. And then it would transition in the 2026 election after that to a uh, fully elected 20-member, one-president board. Um, Those members would be elected from districts that have to be created within the city, and then the president would be elected citywide. Okay. Well, Chicago's mayors have had control 
over the Board of Education since back in 95. What's Mayor Lightfoot been saying about the elected school board plan? Uh, she has called this particular structure unwieldy, undemocratic. Her big fear seems to be that the Chicago Teachers Union, which is sort of her arch rival, uh, would take control of the board. And now her latest argument seems to be that the uh, replacement process for outgoing CEO Janice Jackson would be complicated with this new structure, a new CEO not wanting to come in to take over uh, a school district where their leadership would be in question. And this has to go back to the House for another vote, right? That's right. The House had gone home already on June 1st uh, when the Senate stuck around in town, supposedly to deal with an energy bill that didn't uh, materialize, but then they ended up passing this elected school board bill before adjourning. Now, in other legislation impacting schools, the House voted unanimously to reduce, with the aim of eventually eliminating, the use of seclusion rooms. Tell us what these are, Dan. These are are rooms um, that are used in in schools across the state a lot in um, specialized schools for children with severe and significant disabilities. Some reporting from my colleague Jennifer Smith-Richards and Jody Cohen and Lakeisha Chaffetz at um, ProPublica Illinois a couple years ago showed widespread use of these throughout the state, practices that um, advocates say are very harmful and uh, both mentally and possibly physically to students. Lawmakers have been pushing since uh, that reporting to ban the use. Jonathan Carroll, who's a state representative from Northbrook, said that he actually had some of these practices used on him as a student in school, and it was very traumatizing, and he was one of the champions of this legislation. It's not the immediate ban that the lawmakers who support it and advocates had initially been pushing for, but it, it will sort of phase that in, and they are declaring it as the victory for the affected by this. Dave, legislation passed that's going to impact some college students as well. Like student athletes can now actually sign endorsements in Illinois. What are the details of that? Basically, like when you tune your television on, you may soon be seeing a college athlete from the U of I or Northwestern uh, pitching cars or something like that. That's a big deal. Well, it is. I mean, I think college sports is such a lucrative endeavor for the universities, particularly March Madness and the Bowl Championship. And this is really an effort to try to compensate some of the uh, players who really make up the juju of college athletics. And what this bill that State Senator Napoleon Harris got through, Harris coincidentally is a uh, a former NFL player, former college football player. It would allow these student athletes to be paid for the use of their names, their images, their likenesses, but not their athletic ability. And it will stand in place until or if the NCAA or uh, the federal government come out with rules that deal with actually paying athletes. And that's still not been worked out yet. Lawmakers also passed a bill allowing college sports betting. Can you give us the rundown on that, Dave? It didn't get through both chambers. It got through the uh, Illinois House, but it seems to have stalled in the Senate. It would mean uh, a likely bump in uh, revenues for the state. But all the universities in Illinois, the public universities especially, don't want this. And they believe that it puts a lot of undue pressure, harassment even, from the social media world Mm -hmm. on college athletes from people who are wagering on these games. So this bill right now seems to have hit a snag. It's unclear whether moving forward it's going to be something that gets uh, you know enough momentum to get out of the Senate. But right now it's still kind of on hold in the House. All right, let's turn now to politics. Uh, lawmakers passed legislation tightening ethics and lobbying laws. What does this bill hope to accomplish, Dave? With the Commonwealth Edison lobbying scandal that we've all been reporting on now for months and the indictments that have arisen and and the federal government's pursuit of of former House Speaker Michael Madigan, 
uh, who has not been charged in all of this, legislators felt like they needed to do something to, you know, basically kind of buttress their records come election time to have some kind of, you know, ethics reform in their back pockets. And so that's what this was about. Uh, it, it tightens uh, lobbying rules, for example, that you can't be a legislator, leave the General Assembly and then go work and become a lobbyist. Uh, without waiting six months. Same, same is true in the executive branch for the governor. There is a, a tightening of uh, financial disclosure requirements. It's a, a form that pretty much everybody in, in state government has to fill out called a statement of economic interest, and they've, they've beefed up the reporting associated with that. Back on the lobbying front, they have uh, lobbyists have to declare that they are working on behalf of a client, but but those lobbyists could go out and hire people with some influence with a member of the General Assembly and call them a consultant, and those consultants then would never have to register. So they were kind of like a, a stealth lobbying arm, you could say, and so there, there's a, a disclosure component that kicks in with that. Now, uh, the fact is that that most of the good government groups, all of them actually, think that this is sort of a, you know, kind of a watered down, weak response to what we saw laid out in the Commonwealth Edison scandal. But this is on the way to the governor. The governor has indicated his support for this. So I expect him, once he gets this, to sign it fairly quickly. That's WBEZ's Dave McKinney. Also with us today is Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. Dave, Dan, we're about halfway through this roundup. So take a quick sip of water and get ready to dive into these stories. I think we're ready to move to phase five with the state next Friday, June 11th. For the first time in more than a year, Chicagoans will get a chance to enjoy everything the city has to offer with nearly no restrictions in place. We also are providing some incentives, as you've heard about. Uh, we're looking forward to potentially doing a vaccine lottery. Illinois is one signature away from making Juneteenth an official state holiday. Lawmakers failed to negotiate an agreement on a massive clean energy bill. The Illinois General Assembly passed a key immigration bill. The Illinois Way Forward Act would close immigration detention centers in the state. Okay, here we go. Dave, we've got a new holiday in this state, right? Yeah, Juneteenth National Freedom Day. June 19th is, uh, uh, you know, assuming the governor signs this, and all signs are that he will. Uh, this is the legislation that uh, Senate Majority Leader Kimberly Lightfoot, a Democrat from Maywood, pushed through. Juneteenth is the day that uh, celebrates the abolition of slavery in America, and it, it really has kind of grown from that into a celebration of uh, black arts and culture and a reflection on the impact of the civil rights movement throughout the country. Now, what this state holiday does, it means a day off from, from work for state workers, and it's a school holiday. So, uh, you know, it doesn't apply across the board to everybody, but but for that group of people, it will. And uh, this is a, an, another uh, important move in kind of, you know, recognizing the contributions of African-Americans in Illinois. Lawmakers also passed bills that were advanced by the Latino caucus, closing the state's three immigrant detention centers. Dan, was there partisan debate there? There was. This is very much a an issue where um, Democrats are in favor and Republicans, by and large, oppose. The bill also contains some other provisions that would uh, prohibit local law enforcement from cooperating or coordinating with immigration and custom enforcement on raids and things like that, sharing certain information, asking people who are stopped or in custody about their immigration status, somewhat similar to some of the um, quote-unquote sanctuary city provisions that are already in place in Chicago. Legislators also passed a bill that was expanding Medicaid coverage to non-citizens between the ages of 55 and 64. Was there any real debate over that one, Dan? That was one of those issues that, you know, with everything that was going on, sort of 
didn't get as much attention. Again, it's a, a partisan issue by and large where uh, Democrats are in favor and uh, Republicans are, are opposed. Now, uh, the legislature also passed a bill that could shut down puppy mills. Dave, do you have details on that? Well, I mean, it's another one of the uh, kind of the lower profile ones that kind of slipped through when, when we were all paying attention to the budget and energy and everything else. This one basically is a situation where pet stores could no longer sell dogs and cats and that if they wanted to market in them, they would have to basically host adoption fairs from the animal shelters and places like that. So it's a step basically aimed at trying to, to get rid of these puppy mills that, that of course, have been shown to have these really uh, awful living conditions for uh, dogs and cats and breeding and such. So that's on its way to the governor as well, and and, uh, that should result in a change in the pet shops. Now, uh, despite the mad rush to move a backlog of legislation by that May 31st deadline, some bills didn't come up for a final vote. So I want to look at a few of those. Uh, First off, the massive clean energy bill. Dan, what, or maybe I should say who, were the obstacles with that one? Well, there were sort of shifting obstacles. Uh, this is one I was tracking throughout the spring and throughout the uh, week plus that I spent down in Springfield. And for a long time, it seems to be Exelon, the parent company of Commonwealth Edison, and owner of the state's nuclear power plants that were, uh, was holding things up, pushing for more subsidies for uh, plants of theirs that they say are, are financially struggling, um, support they argue is warranted because they produce energy that doesn't emit carbon pollution. And given the uh, the lobbying scandal that Dave alluded to earlier, there's a wariness among lawmakers to seem like they're bailing out a company that has engaged in unsavory practices in Springfield to get its way in the past. In the late hours of May 31st, it appeared that there was a deal on that issue with the governor agreeing to slightly higher subsidies than he had originally wanted to offer. But then this issue with some coal plants that are owned or invested in by by municipalities across the state came up, and um, some supporters want those to be exempt from a 2035 deadline for shutting down coal plants across the state because um, there's outstanding bond debt that was used to build those projects, so towns would be on the hook for for a lot of money for energy that they wouldn't be able to, to use. So that is sort of the issue that is, at this point, holding up an agreement. And we haven't actually seen a bill in bill form yet. So there are a lot of other provisions in the works as well. So Dave, did the governor say that he's still hopeful about getting this energy bill passed? He is. I mean, he he thinks that uh, accommodations have been made to these municipalities that contract for this coal produced energy. Uh, you, You know, in the Chicago suburbs, for example, Dan's colleague, Mike Hawthorne, has written extensively about this prairie state coal plant in southern Illinois that provides power to places like Naperville and and Winnetka and St. Charles. And and all of these communities have long-term borrowing obligations that are associated with their involvement with this company. And under Pritzker's energy plan, initially, all coal plants were going to be shut down in Illinois in 2030. And he agreed to bump that back to 2035. But these communities said, well, wait a minute, we could still be paying off the debt that we we took out, you know, to, to be involved with this coal plant. And, you know, we're going to have to double pay for energy. So that's a wrinkle that still has to be worked out. The governor believes that, you know, there's, there's a way to do it and that, that they'll be on the path to doing that. But when they left Springfield this week, there wasn't a real clear sense as to when they may come back to do this. So it's still a bit up in the air. 
a bill repealing the parental notification requirement for young girls who are seeking an abortion. That didn't come up for a vote. What happened, Dan? I talked with uh, some folks who who are supporters of the bill earlier in the the last week, and they were hopeful about getting it across the finish line. But it's just one of those things where when there are so many contentious issues to deal with, some things fall by the wayside. And that is that is one that did. Mm -hmm. It's a controversial issue and one that lawmakers didn't seem eager to to take up with everything else that was going on, despite the fact that new House Speaker Manuel Chris Welsh, I believe, was a, a sponsor of legislation that would have done that at one point. Any other notable bills that we didn't touch on, Dave? Well, yeah, I mean, a big one uh, is redistricting the, the political maps for the state legislature, the state Supreme Court and the Cook County Board of Review. Within the past hour, Governor Pritzker has signed that legislation, and that's probably going to open the door now to a wave of Republican litigation because Republicans have, for the last few months, been objecting to these maps being drawn with, with only uh, – you know, demographic estimates. Mm-hmm. The actual census data has been delayed coming to Illinois and the other states because of the pandemic. That has triggered a lot of, of consternation from Republicans on that. But, but you know, it's an important issue that, that happens every 10 years. And the party that's in control of drawing these new boundaries for the House and the Senate and the court, they are basically setting themselves up for the next five election cycles for an advantage over Republicans. And so that's why this is such a high stakes thing. And the Supreme Court redistricting there, again, is a partisan underpinning to that, because uh, as you recall, back in the fall last year, there was a Democratic Supreme Court justice who lost a retention battle in his district downstate, part of Will County. And that threatened to give an opening to Republicans to take over the state Supreme Court for the first time since the 1960s. So you know, there's a lot of politics wrapped into those maps that Pritzker has signed. And one last thing I'll say about this that, that's interesting. Republicans have made a point of saying that as a candidate, Pritzker in 2018 said that, you know, he wouldn't sign legislation, uh, wouldn't sign maps that were drawn by legislators or partisan staffs, and that he believed that this whole process should be turned over to a nonpartisan commission so that the, the boundaries were drawn fairly. Well, that didn't happen. And so, you know, expect moving forward that to be something here from Republicans uh, hitting him on. Well, we're going to pivot now to something different. That's the big news yesterday that Chicago is fully opening next Friday, June 11th, along with the rest of Illinois. It's three weeks earlier than originally planned. So, Dan, what were the governor's thoughts about the state fully reopening next Friday? Well, the governor laid out this plan way back in March to sort of ease into a full reopening. And then we saw a sort of um, mini wave of COVID early this spring that delayed that. But with the increase in vaccinations, uh, the daily case rates, the hospitalizations, um, the positivity rate have all come way down. Um, Positivity is about the lowest it's been since the state started reporting those figures. So his contention is that we have gotten the handle on the the pandemic to the point where it is safe to resume, especially for fully vaccinated people, doing many of the things we were doing back in 2019 before this changed all of our lives so significantly. And it appears that uh, Mayor Lightfoot has gotten on board with moving up her timeline a little bit. And so it'll make it a lot less confusing for everyone that sort of the whole state will be moving uh, together towards full reopening. Well, Dave, did the governor talk about how he might incentivize the third of the state that still hasn't gotten not even one dose of the COVID vaccine? 
these are areas that are primarily rural. I mean, not always, but but primarily rural. And you know, there have been efforts to try to appeal to the hunters and the sportsmen by giving away the you know clay pigeons and the drink and a shot. Basically, uh, yeah. you get a free drink at a bar if you uh, if you show proof of vaccination. And then a potential lottery that uh, would be involved. And these are all things that that he wants uh, wants to try to do in order to get our vaccination rate up above, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent. You know, right now we're, we're hovering a little over 50 percent. But of course, the state's numbers are really dropping. Uh, as you point out earlier here, we're, we're only seeing a few hundred cases now per day with positivity rates under 2 percent. And it's really, uh, I would say, his overall, you know, tenor and mood about this is really pretty joyous. I mean, he talked about going out to celebrate at a restaurant for the first time, maskless. And so uh, this is quite a big deal for the state to be kind of in this position. That's it for the weekly news recap. I want to thank Chicago Tribune state government reporter Dan Petrella and WBEZ's own state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Thank you for stopping by, folks. And that's a wrap for this week's recap. For the latest news and updates around masking, vaccinations, and the latest science around the pandemic, watch this feed for our weekly Q&A with Dr. Mia Teramina. You'll catch it first thing Sunday morning. Until then, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Enjoy the hot weather. We'll meet again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.